Guys, welcome to episode four of the Human Jiu-Jitsu podcast. Huge order for me. I have Paul Brown. He's a strength and conditioning coach. <laughs> I'm not going to keep doing a fucking impression. He's a strength and conditioning coach up in Dublin. He's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. He's also, he runs the page BJJ Strength Camp. And he's recently released some great, great videos to tide everyone over for, since we have a lockdown, we can't train. I'd really recommend uh, bodyweight training for grapplers. It's uh, kept me fucking sane over the past few weeks. Oh, my God. Anyways, uh, how's it going, Paul? What's up, man? How good? Nah, dude. Man, uh, how are you handling all this quarantine shit? I'm not too bad, actually. Like, I'm, um, I'm lucky enough in that the week before it all kicked off, so, like, the first weekend in March, um, we moved into our, our new gaff. We just bought our, our, our house, and uh, it was literally that, that weekend before we had moved in. So the fact that it would, uh, just landed here, there's loads of shit that needs doing. Uh, so that that's kind of kept me busy and also with work I've sort of stayed busy because I'm usually flat out all the time like I'm, I'm go 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 all the time and I've kind of gotten used to that so then when when everything just sort of stopped and went quiet I'm not really good at just sitting there and looking yeah. at like Netflix I can't do it so I kind of set myself a little rule where you know everyone was kind of on holiday mode for a week or two and I'm like I'm not going to let myself sit down until 8 p.m. at the earliest before. Like, I can sit down in the evening and put my feet up and watch something, but I just can't fucking put my feet up at, like, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, I could be I could be doing something productive. So um, I've been busy. Like, I've been working online. I've been uh, putting e-books together, training clients online, um, research and stuff, just staying busy, staying active, and, mm. like, doing gardening and painting the gaff and, you know, staying active, staying, staying productive with my time, you know. So it's not too bad. Uh, dude, I always see you posting about your your kettlebell kettlebell exercises. I see them like daily on Instagram. So uh, at least someone's not sitting under ours. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to um, trying to just be productive with the time and like kettlebells are things like that I would have used a lot in my training throughout the years. But like as a small part of what I use, so now is a good chance to sort of double down on that and maybe you know it gives me a chance to get a bit creative and put together workouts mm. that. I've all week's worth workouts that I can, you know, I'm limited to certain types of equipment. So it's, I kind of find that a kind of a challenging rather than uh, a hindrance, you know, it's like, um, just gives you, gives you, you have to look at these things as an opportunity rather than, you know, piss and moan about how oh, look, it could be, this, 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 I wish things were this way, you know, can't do jujitsu. So like, there's no point in me sitting around moaning about it. I'd love to be mm-hmm. doing it. I'd love to be catching up with my mates and, and training and training. I miss competing when I do sit down to think about it. So, oh. yeah, yeah, you just got to find other ways to feed that little bug, you know? Mm. Uh, man, that's a, it's a great way to look at it, man. Like, I just want to fucking compete so badly right now. Like, like I've just been thinking about all, like, the mistakes I made in competition lately. And I've, when you actually have a time to think about it, you're like, okay, here's a, how I can fix that in the future. But, you know, if only we come up with that a bit sooner. Yeah, yeah, like, you got to look at it like time like this is time that you can you can use for things like that. You can watch jujitsu. You can watch like I've never been really good at sitting and watching um, tutorials and picking up loads of details off them. So like I kind of get into them a little bit. Ten minutes in, I'm like, oh fuck, you know. Like yeah. I'd rather watch jujitsu matches or actually watch watch matches live and learn stuff. I, le- I learn most of what I like. Most most of the techniques I learn, I learn from watching other people roll, like some mm. of the black in our club or 
if I'm watching someone I know compete, like someone very high level I know competing for at a, a local tournament or an international tournament. I, yeah, I dude, want the pro great experience. Just, love going tournaments. Like, yeah, yeah. Just, so just, like, a, just it's like a, just a day out. It's just like a good, good crack. You're surrounded by everyone else who trains, and you know you can just chat the shit. Like, oh, dude, where you train? I train here. You know, it's just a great value yeah, experience in general. Even if you don't go to fight, like, it's still, it's still fun. Yeah. Sport is like that. It's 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 such a great social event, and you're meeting people who are in good form, and they're they're full of uh, they're full of energy on the day because everyone's a bit uh, hyped up. So everyone's in, in good in good headspace, and um, it, yeah, it's a nice day to kind of catch up with people and and just uh, just enjoy that experience. And I tell you what, the, the the first couple of big tournaments that that are on after this is all over, there'll be great occasions because we'll all just be fucking happy to be there. <laughs> Dude, you can just imagine just walking through the door, seeing someone you like, no kind of, just run over and give a massive hug, like, hey, guy, kind of know, I fucking missed you, man. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, that's what it's going to be like. It's going to be a celebration of actually Jesus being able to go out and, you know, actually shake hands with people again. And yeah, it's going to be. I bet something funny actually happened a bit, a bit earlier today. See, I was on, a, I was walking this pad, just going off for a walk, and I seen a guy I know, like he was on the bicycle. He's like, "Hey, humanity, what's up?" And he put his hand out. We just like high fived. It was like a drive by high five. So like, no one noticed. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Paul. Do you wanna tell everyone uh, where you're from originally and where you train in case someone wants to go and uh, kick your ass one day? Yeah, yeah. So um, based here in Dublin, I uh, live here in Dublin, and I've been training with Team Rhino for i think this is nine years coming up now so quite a while since white belt you know um team rhino uh, headquarters and um that's in fingless and we've we've gyms all over the gap but the main oh, don't don't you mean bleeding fingless bleeding fingless exactly yeah <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we're 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 uh, we're the biggest one there and then there's a we've a couple other ones we've a couple other ones affiliations in dublin and around the country and, and up north and stuff so there's a load of us around the place. I think we've like 10 gyms at least. But the, the, the main HQ now is in Dublin. And uh, that's where you'll find me most of the time. That's um, like, the, yeah, it's a serious, uh, a serious dragon's den. Like when you go in there and you hit the mats in there. I think we have, I'm going to say roughly 15 black belts in that one gym alone. Never mind all the, some of the affiliates around the country. We have, we have a serious amount of guys there because, I remember when I joined there first, we were we were based in Baldoyle in Dublin, and uh, we used to travel like forty minutes up, forty minutes back, four nights a week. Like it was, you'd be up there for three or four hours at a time. Like so I was spending half my life there at the time. But uh, like the level on the mats, even back then, there was only two black belts in the country back then, and um, everyone was kind of you know purple belt or brown belt, which were relatively rare around the country, but uh, just killers all over the mat. And even now, like. Like I go down to certain classes I go down to now when I go in there wearing my brown belt and like you're 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 the nail, you know, there's like ten guys who outrank you on the fucking mat. It's like you can go you know, there's no easy rounds in the place. It's it's uh it, it, it's a great mat to learn on and a great a great place to be to train, you know, there's some serious, uh, serious high level jujitsu on display all the time up there. Mm, man, I said that's a huge honor to be exposed to that on just a, on just a daily basis. Mm, absolutely yeah yeah like and when, when i like when i train at let's say we're in a class where it's competition class where it's mainly you know rolling or, or, or positional rolling or whatever what i'd always do is i'll always kind of i'll look around and i'll have in my head 
the, the, they're the guys I want to get a role with tonight. There's, I'm lucky that there's a lot of brown and black belts that are maybe within like one weight class of me. So like I compete under 70 and there's plenty of guys who are under 80 kilos, brown and black belts that are going to fucking put, give you a hard time and really, really test you. So what I'll do is I'll look around the room and I'll pick at least five or six of those and, and I'll kind of make a mental note, right, I've got to get rounds in with that guy and that guy and that guy, you know. Mm. So you go up there some nights and, like I said, you can be the nail all night. And, yeah, it's uh, it, it's brilliant because when you go to compete, the only thing I find that takes away the nerves of competition, and you, you, you'll always have the nerves, you know, and if you don't, you're not doing a fucking right. But if, if, if you're going to competition, you're going to have the nerves and the anxiety. But the thing that I find helps me most before I compete, you know, when you're you're getting the butterflies and you're waiting to get called and you're at the edge of the mat, that's that's a real nervous time. I always mm-hmm. just tell myself in my head, hold on, look who you train with. These guys that you're competing against aren't as good. Aren't they? They can't possibly be the same level as a lot of the guys you train with day in day out. So like, that always tends to calm me right down and say, you, you know, you're well able to do this. You do this all the fucking time, and mm-hmm. then you feel good. You feel more confident and calm and composed then and that's the key you know when you go to compete you got to be a bit anxious you got to have that little bit of fire in your belly and that little bit of the heart but you can't let it take take control you know you can't uh, you can't freeze up you've got to mm. be able to go out there and, and actually pull the trigger a little bit too so yeah so I'm very lucky in that respect you know there's lots of mm. uh, lots of good roles and it's a, you, you got to go looking for them you know mm. see the thing you just brought up there about like nerves and competition do that I think it's like a good thing when, like, to a certain extent when you're nervous because it obviously shows you're invested in the outcome. Like, you obviously care about how you do, you know, because if you're just going through the motions, like, you know, wouldn't really give a shit. Like, you know, it's, a, it's kind mm. of a good thing to a certain extent if you're nervous because, you, you know, you care about how you perform and how all the work you put in. Yeah, that's, that's true because there's a lot of times I'll compete. Like, and what I do is I'll, I'll – most years I've been competing. I've competed as much as possible or, you know, plenty anyway, maybe minimum 10 times per year and some of the times you'll go down and you're kind of not really overly excited to do it or you're not revved up and I'll find it's the times when there's no one in my weight category so maybe I'm competing up a weight class or up two weight classes so there's no real like I don't feel any sort of pressure to win if I'm competing in my own age group and my own weight class I kind of feel a bit of a I put put it on myself but I'd sort of feel a bit of a pressure to you know you want to fucking win this thing or you know Turn up and fucking do well here, you know. You you can't just go in and just get beaten. Whereas if I'm if I'm competing, maybe I'm down. I might be competing against adults, and like I'm, I'm in my forties. So then the, no one really expects you to win or whatever. So yeah, I find it very hard to get nervous or get excited for those matches. I kind mm-hmm. of go in half arsed and before you know it, the other guy has pulled the trigger quicker than you, and then you're you're chasing the the scoreboard a little bit. Yeah, so you, you kind of do need the nerves and the butterflies, you know. And I find mm. that if I am going again in against my peers, yeah, right, okay, I'm nervous now, but that's a good thing. So you just learn how to harness that and how to how to control your breathing and not let it burn you out, not get over anxious, and just yeah, be ready. You gotta be you gotta be switched on, don't you? You know you can't uh, you can't go in there too relaxed. You gotta find your your right balance, the sweet spot between them. You know. Mm. Yeah, fine. You can only really find the sweet spot once you've just. Uh... Once you've been fucked up a bit too many times, you know, once you like the, you let the nerves fuck you over a few times, you just like you gotta stop yourself from doing that eventually. But yeah, you got you gotta experience that and then you'll be able to address that problemo. Mm-hmm. Big time, yeah. It's like um you you do gotta a lot of people are kinda 
I have a lot of people, a lot of friends that would maybe not compete that often or, you know, they'd re- rarely have ever do it. And they'd be like, oh, do you think I should do this? Do you think I should do that? Or do you think I should wait till wait till I get fitter? Or, do you, you know, should I do this tournament? And my answer would always be just fucking do it. Just compete. Because, like, the more you do it, the more comfortable you'll become in that surrounding. And you learn how to figure it out for yourself because there's no magic pill. There's no secret to it there it's you you can't just turn up and compete and know how to do it mentally from the get-go you you've got to figure it out yourself and you've got to get get used to it become accustomed to it you know you've you've no shortcuts i'm afraid you gotta you gotta put the hours in and like you like you said it's about it's about doing it so many times that you've, you've just been there so many times and then you'll be able to be relaxed and be comfortable in those you got to be comfortable in uncomfortable surroundings. You got to learn to live in it and thrive in it. You know. Mm, I do. That's a great philosophy, man. Like, see, you know, that's just a great way because, like, uh, you, it's there's like so many different nuances to consider when you when you do want to compete. You know, there's this whole signing up process, like what weight to decide, like if you're on the cusp of one weight or another, there's that decision. And then there's trying to make weight if you do decide to change weight. And then there's actually showing up on the day and waiting for your match, the anticipation could easily fuck you over there's like a whole bunch of different things you can't even explain to someone you just gotta let them experience it absolutely yeah yeah like um it's little things like like your warm-up you gotta know what you're gonna do when you go to the venue how you're gonna warm up um you've gotta know what how long you want to be there before your your matches and stuff like a mistake a lot of people will make is they'll kind of go there at like nine o'clock in the morning and they might not be on till half three and then their match gets pushed back till half four and <laughs> you're, you're just burned out with anxiety by the time that happens whereas another you might see guys at the other end of that scale they might be running in the door when their name is being called and there's no time to warm up so you kind of you got to learn what works best for you and Maybe take some time to chill and you'll know how long it takes you to get yourself loose, get mobile, get switched on mentally, all of that stuff. And like I said, that just takes practice, trial and error, see what works and and stick with what works, you know. Hmm. Uh, See, while you're on the topic of warming up, see, a testament of a really good, really well-run competition, in my opinion, is having warm-up mats. Mm. That's just like an absolute for me. Like that's just... Because, you know, it shows that they care to have a, to care enough for the athletes to have a dedicated area for them to get get ready. That's, you know, actually, yeah, you know, because might as well get used to being on the mats. It's, it's just a little mental thing as well. It helps because, you know, you're warming up and doing your moves and stuff on the mat. It sort of helps you, you know, get ready a little bit more, in my yeah, opinion. Hugely, yeah. Like, um, uh, I think one of the best areas for that is, the, I don't know if you've ever done the IBJJF London Open. Have you done that? Nah. Oh, so Crystal Palace there, it's great because it's a lovely big venue, it's packed. But then you, at the end of the hall, you go upstairs and uh, there's this massive, absolutely massive, matted out area. And there's just people all over it, spread out all over it, just chilled out, rolling around, moving. And yeah, you, you, you've got such good space and it's nice and warm up there. So it doesn't take you too long to loosen your body up. You can do some rounds with your mate and you can throw each other around the place. You've enough room to spread your wings. And by the time you get down to the bullpen, you feel good. Whereas you don't have that luxury at like three quarters of the competitions you go to, you know. Mm. Some of them like, um, some of them, do, they, they kind of sacrifice a warm up area to have extra mats on, which helps the tournament run a bit smoother. But it's tough getting on the mats to compete 
when you're not loose, you know, when you're not properly fired up, it's very tough. Mm. See, I think that problem could be remedied a lot. Like, I'm not, I'm not asking them to put like the competition quality mats down. If they just got puzzle mats and put like tape over the joints, so that would be an adequate space. You know, I think that'd be better than nothing. Ah, sorry, just got enough cash. But like, uh, I just think that'd be adequate enough. Like, not necessarily competition quality mats, because I know they got to use them for more matches to be run at the same time. But like, uh, I think that'd be a good, good, uh, what's it? Compromise, that's it. You know, they could have the warm-up area, but they wouldn't have to take away mat space so they could have more matches. Yeah, big time. It's... um... It's it, it's it's very important, you know, especially when you're going at the highest level, like at the Europeans now, um, obviously they, they, they have the, the, the great matted area in, in the, the little hallway across in the venue, which is, which is awesome. And you can go in there and you can move around. You can even go in there the day before when you're you're just there watching teammates and you can kind of get a few rolls in and loosen up. Mm-hmm. And stuff. So it's nice to have that bit of space, that bit of room to maneuver. Um, the likes of where you're doing the Irish Nationals, the Irish Open there in, um, what's the venue, the National Sports Arena, the National Indoor Arena, it's yeah. a lovely venue and then there's not there's not a whole lot of mat space to move around, I don't think there's any mat space. But like uh, you, there was here. once at the Irish Open 2018, I remember there was like a tiny matted, matted space, but to my knowledge all the other times I've been there, there hasn't been. Yeah, sometimes getting on it, on it can be tough as well because there's so many people, but um yeah, you just make do. You go upstairs. Like the last couple of times, I just brought a yoga mat down and fucked off upstairs. Found a bit of a bit of a quiet hallway. Spend twenty minutes out there loosening the body up and then drilling some some stuff with some mates. Do, doing grip breaks and things like that are amazing because they really fire up the the forearms, get the heart rate elevated, get you used to the resistance of another opponent. Things like jumping guard, doing plenty of reps on those. You know, you really got to do stuff that's going to get your your heart rate fired up because. It's very, very difficult to go from not to 100 when you step on the mat. And if the other guy is ready and you're not, it's like you're in real trouble, you know. And I've felt mm-hmm. it a few times. I've really struggled a few times when I haven't warmed up properly. And I've, I've learned the lesson the hard way. So that's it. That comes with competing. Mm-hmm. What's your sort of uh, mentality? Like, what's your opinion of uh, what's the sort of stage you want to be at? Do you want to be like just just a little bit warm? Or I see some people, they're like, dude. I want to warm up like a motherfucker and be sweaty, sweating out my fucking head when I go on to fucking compete. Like, what's your sort of take on that? Well, I always think about this time I bumped into Chris Bow. you know? Chris Bow is like one of the most successful black belts this country's ever produced. And I was at the Europeans, and I was in the, the warm-up area, which is in a separate room to the actual competition area. Have you done the Europeans? Uh, no, not yet. Okay, so this this venue is... It's big, you know, and um, basically you go into the hallway downstairs outside of the actual venue and across the hall, there's a it's like another sports hall, like a basketball hall or whatever. And they have mats in there, you know, and there's there's screens that has the the running order of all the mats, what time you're on and so on. So you don't have to keep going in and out of the venue. You can you can just look at the screen in the corner. So you're Mm. on the mats warming up or whatever. And um, I'm in there uh, looking at the screen. And Chris Bow comes over, puts his hand on his shoulder. He's like, how are you, Paul? What's the crack? And he's pissing sweat. You know, he's absolutely drenched. Looks like he's just, just finished his match. So I'm like, all right, how did you get on? Did you win? And he goes, all right, no, I'm on in like 15 minutes. <laughs> are you sure? Like, he goes, oh, I'm over here. And he's there with like doing a little Ironman with three or four other black belts. And they're fucking milling each other. And this is right before they're about to go out and compete. 
So oh, no. that kind of that kind of gave me a, a push in the right direction. And for a lot of tournaments since, I've sort of aimed to kind of get more close to that level than to be, um, you know, just a little bit loose and a little bit awake. Because especially at that level of competition, when you go out there, like it's it's a viper's nest you're walking into. Like there's guys at the Europeans. Uh, your division is full of the best. Literally, guys who are confident to go over to the Euros are going to turn up in Nick, and they're going to turn up ready, and they're going to be warm, and they're going to they're go- you're going to get the best of them. So you can't sort of go in there half warmed, half loose. You gotta mm. you gotta turn up in good shape. You gotta get your nervous system fired up, get your reaction time ready, and yeah, I think you need to be you need to be somewhat up there. I mean, a lot of people tend to be worried that they're going to burn up too much energy, but I mean. If you work your ass off for 10, 15 minutes, you're not really going to burn up all the energy you have. Because if you think about a good competition class you do, you're going to do an hour working at a high intensity, you know what I mean? Mm. Or trying to get your high intensity. So you do have it in the tank. It's just that you're nervous. You might burn it out so you don't use it. And then you get on the mat at 70% and the other guy is at like closer to 100 and it's too late. That that, mm. that, that five is up and you're you're out. So it's... Yeah, it's about it's about learning what you can hack, what you can handle, and still perform well. So mm. any big tour I've done, I've always tried to really get a good pace going, even in short little bursts, and get get fired up. And uh, you know, it helps. It absolutely helps. Nah, because dude, that's a that's a great way to look at it because you don't see people going to the Europeans or or uh, Pan Ams. Just you don't see like practitioners go. You see like proper competitors. You don't see someone. Oh, dude, uh, this is this will be fun. I'll do the Europeans. You don't fucking see that. You see someone who's there to fucking take someone's fucking head home. They're there, they're there to fuck people up. Like they're there yeah. to win. Like absolutely fucking lutely. And it's um yeah every everyone's everyone who's over there is in good shape. So I don't know why you would be worried that you're gonna be out knackered. If you work hard for 15 minutes or you get really, really high intensity work for 10 or 15 minutes in your warm up, you're clearly after getting yourself in good enough shape to go to the Europeans. Why the fuck would you panic about burning up all your energy? Just get yourself fired up, get yourself awake. A lot of people spend longer warming up, but never really getting up to a high level. They'll get up to 60, 70 percent and they'll spend getting, getting loose, moving around comfortable. But then when you step on the competition mat, it's nothing like that. It's short and it's fast and it's revved up to the max so you sort of gotta you gotta just dip your toes in that water a couple of times and back out and just have them ready for it and then when it's when it's go time you're able to just you're able to put the pedal to the metal and go at it you know mm. yeah see i think lots like if this analogy if this analogy makes any sense lots of people sort of think of it in like marathon sense they want to like keep the energy for a long period of time as opposed to like sprinting when you just gotta like, like burst it out in like a hyper quick period of time absolutely yeah yeah and sometimes yeah it's just the wrong way of looking at it i mean if you lose your first match you're gone so win your first fucking match you know what yeah, i mean like you don't you don't have three man divisions at the europeans that i doubt that's even a thing yeah like it's very rare you'd have to be like in some of the very like i give you an example now i'm in master i'm getting old now i'm after moving into master three last year and uh, <laughs> even still the divisions were still were still big like i moved up to brown belt moved to master three there's still like I think 16 guys in the division, at, you Dude. know, at Brown. Whereas like, you know, it's you compete over here. You're lucky if there's one other guy your age and you're, you know, I always have to move down. I competed last year roughly 10 times, and I think seven of them I had to move into a different age category or a different weight category. So 
you you know you you go to the Euros, it's a different story. Everyone else who's your age and your size and your belt class, they they they're all there and they're all ready to go. You know, all the best of the best. So it's um you kind of just got to get through that first match and be fit enough that you can relax and recover enough. Mm. And you'll have enough to go again. Uh, dude, while we're on the topic, do you remember like uh, your first competition and do you have uh, like advice for people like uh, how to like prepare for their first ever competition? Because, you know, like the one most people push, it's one for people to do most of the time. Yeah, my first one was <clears throat> 2012, I think, January, something like January. I think it was around January and I wasn't training too long. I have a few months of jiu-jitsu under my belt and it was the Northern Ireland Open. And I fought a pro MMA fighter. He was the Clan Wars lightweight champion at the time. Oh, <laughs> boy. He was sandbagging in the fucking white belt featherweight division. And oh, he, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice fella. He came up and introduced himself. Oh, yeah, what's the crack? Blah, blah, blah. All right, say, oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Went down to her for like a minute, minute and a half, and he caught me in an arm bar, and I was like, oh, that sucks a loss, blah, blah, blah. But then he just milled everyone else in the division as well, and I, I think he arm barred the next guy in like 10 seconds flat, a flying arm bar. So I was like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I shouldn't be too disappointed with me, myself then, you know. <laughs> it's just the way it goes. Like, and it, you don't see that so much anymore because a lot of competitions have brought in that rule where if you're a pro MMA fighter, you can't compete a white belt anymore. You know, or if you if you've competed at a high level in another grappling sport, you just can't. You're not allowed. Whereas at the time, I think uh, it wasn't really that. That wasn't really a, a, a rule. But that was my first tournament, you know. And I was like, fuck it, I'll just go again at the next one. And it sucked a little bit at the next one. It sucked a little bit at the next one after that. And eventually, I got, I got, I got to a stage where I was winning more tournaments than I was than I wasn't winning. So it's like, um, it just takes persistence, you know. Hmm. Oh, dude, it's a great fucking way to look at it, man. Just keep, just throw a lot of shit at the wall, see what sticks. Because, you know, you, you just got to keep putting yourself out there again and again, again until uh, you find your groove. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, yeah, it's figuring out what works for you. And as I said earlier, you won't, you won't, you won't get it right. You'll be, it's very rare. It's like the 1% of people, like the likes of Sam McNally and guys like that are the guys who turn up and win mo- most tournaments that they're in. That's fine. But you can't compare yourself to that elite level of performer because that's a very small percentage of what actually happens in jiu-jitsu. Most people never win a gold medal. and They compete multiple times over the years and they never win a gold medal. Most people rarely win a handful of tournaments. So it's you you, you got to be in it to win it. you got to keep pushing. You, the reason you'll get better is that you've you've put in more hours than everyone else. You've, you've put in, you've, you've put yourself out there to lose more times than most people so mm-hmm. that's what it takes to win tournaments and i've won a, a good handful of tournaments in my time but i've won them because i've lost so many do you know mm-hmm. what i mean every every time i lose a match i'm like right but like i need to pick something from those performances today that i could have done better and i need to go off and i need to fix it you know you can't hope to just win it you know if you only compete the odd time or you you only you only no. compete when it feels good no, that's a good idea because, like, even if you do lose a match, that's not necessarily like a bad thing. It's only a bad thing if you don't learn from it. Like, if you if you don't address the problem and take steps to make make sure that doesn't happen next time, you know. Mm. So it's only a mistake if you don't learn from it. 
Yeah, well, it's that that thing that that win or learn quote. But like, a lot of people just sort of turn up and they're happy enough to take a defeat as well. And you know, or like, I wouldn't be a sore loser. But at the same time, like, I always make sure. One thing I always do, and I, I'm amazed that more people don't do it. Like a lot of people do, but I, I talk to a lot of teammates and they don't do it. I video every match that I ever have. I record it, and mm. I have I have them all in a little folder somewhere on my laptop, so I can sit back. Because when you finish your match, your adrenaline's all over the place. And if someone's talking to you 10 minutes later going, here, do you remember you moved over this way and you you, could, you should have done this? And I'm standing there going, I don't remember fucking any of that because it, none of it's clear in my head. It's all jumbled. It's like the adrenaline was, was up and I don't really remember what happened. And then the next day something will come back and you, oh, shit, I could have done that. But when you're a bit removed, when you're a week or two removed from it, you can watch it back. And you can see, right, my entry into this takedown was awful or, you know, my footwork was off or I took the wrong grip here and that was wide open. Why didn't I go for that? You can see those things and then you can make a habit of maybe going for those things then in training. So it's uh, it, 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 it's got to be done, you know, if you have if you have ambitions to actually be somewhat successful when you compete, you kind of got to take that accounting approach to it. You know, you mm. got to you got to cross the I's and dot the T's because the guys who are winning tournaments on a regular basis they're doing it because of that they're doing it because they're meticulous with their preparation they know how to prepare correctly they're not going in there on a wing and a prayer they're coming out to get you and they know what they have in plan they know what they have planned for you you're going in there going oh I'll see where this match goes <laughs> you're fucking two points down mate and just like four minutes to go what are you going to do next then you make a mistake and then another couple of points behind it's it's tough you know you gotta yeah. you gotta have uh, you gotta have a go-to in, in, in all your bad positions, your good positions. If something happens in a match, you need to know in your head what you're going to do from a position. What am I going to do if someone gets my back? What am I going to do if someone gets to mount? You know, you need to just have something that you've practiced and you, you're, you're confident in. And that's, that's, that's the whole white belt, blue belt, purple belt thing is building up that repertoire of solutions to certain positions and problems, you know. Mm. It takes, takes a while. You've got to work on them one at a time, but Mm, because like uh i've heard kit dale put it this way jiu-jitsu it's like uh it's like rapid fire questions and like uh you're like that's just like what they're doing and your technique is like an answer and you know like uh if you don't have an answer that's you got to find out the answer to that question mm, absolutely it's um it's a big test it's, it's problem solving uh, under uh, under a clock you know like there's it's like you got an egg timer that just flipped upside down and you got, you know, here's six problems. I'm going to throw them at you one after another, and you got to solve them all. You got to get them all done. You know, it's like what was it, Larry Murphy's fucking just a minute quiz on 2FM? You know, where he's firing those <laughs> questions at you, and you can them, and you can hear the little beeper in the background. But that's that's what jujitsu is. And if you if you take a wrong turn, oh shit, now someone has my neck. You know, it's uh, it 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 is like that, yeah. But it, that's that's why it's so good. It's not just about being in good physical shape. It's it's not just about being the fitter, the stronger guy. They don't always always win. If you can be cool and be calm and you can see your way out of a problem or you just have something that this guy doesn't, you know, if you have a guard or a submission that he's just not, he's not at a level where he's going to be able to withstand that attack. It's, uh, you know, it, it really is. And, you know, they call it human chess, but that's that's pretty much what it is. You know, it's, it's about planning and reacting to those situations and, and fixing the problems as quickly as you can. Hmm. Uh, do, you have a, do you have a favorite win from your extensive uh, pool of competition? Oh, one or two that I've pulled some mad ones out of the hat. 
when like you know you're down on points and and you just you know when you're 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 getting smashed and you mm. end up winning it's it's great like there was one i shared i shared it on facebook i think it was yesterday it came up in my memories or maybe the day before but i arm barred a lad to win the bristol open at blue belt and he i was winning by two points but he had an advantage on the scoreboard so i think i i was you know i was trying to pass his guard pass his guard like 20 seconds left and the fucker swept me so i dumped me on my arse he pops up to the top and all i hear is my teammate going oh fuck and like the clock is ticking down we're going into the last 10 seconds so he's up on an advantage and i was just like oh fuck so he was kind of off balance so i just grabbed him and i pulled him in and i tried to lash on a triangle and i could hear his teammate shouting six five four so i just threw the triangle on and i was squeezing as hard as i could and i was like he's not going to tap because he can hear that there's only like three seconds to go so i grabbed the arm and i just cranked the fuck out of it and he Ooh. like i pulled it back i already had the triangle locked up cranked the arm back over my leg it was oh it was grinding and creaking Ugh. and he tried to roll and i just stayed tight to him and rolled over on top and he screamed and the ref just stopped stopped us they stopped the clock and I looked up at the screen and it said 0.03 seconds left. Fucking hell. <laughs> so, so they all think he's won because they thought the time was up. So they see us getting stopped and I jump up to celebrate and he's still on the ground in a ball. Like, oh, <laughs> I was like, oh shit, I better stop celebrating. He's actually hurt. Oh, well, that one, like, when I, when I, when I realised he was actually all right, like his arm was a bit hurt, but he was okay. Mm. It felt good. It felt really good, you know. Um, it, I pull, talk about pulling it out of the bag um, <laughs> yeah nasty I had another one actually I, um, I was in the Cork Open and it was a four man bracket and I, I I won the semi-final fairly comfortably but I gassed hard because what it was, it was it was on a Saturday it was in Cork and we drove down that day and the day before I had been working from 6am until about I was judging MMA fights the night before in Drogheda so from 6 a.m., I didn't get home till like half one in the morning. So I was, I got up at like 7 a.m. then to drive the car with all the lads. And by the time we got down there, I was like, oh, man, I'm struggling here. I'm feeling flat. So I won my semi-final. And I remember going about 10 points up in the semi-final, the first two or three minutes. And I was just like, Phew. I just hit, I felt his body hitting the wall. So I, I just, you know, I took, I pulled him into my guard and I just kind of tied him up a little bit and, I just sort of caught my breath for the last minute or two of that match, saved a bit of energy. Match was over. And anyway, I fuck off to sit by the side of the mat and I catch me breath. And my teammate is fighting some other guy in the other semi-final. Turns out the other guy is a fucking animal. And he murders <laughs> my teammate. And I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> you know? So I'm sitting there trying to be calm and be chill. I'm like, I really feel like I'm after blowing me wad here. So my mate comes over and goes, shit, he's a fucking animal. Jesus Christ, the strength of him. I'm like, mate, just fuck off. Just go away from me. Leave me alone. <laughs> I need to just get myself together. I'm trying to, like, me, you know when your legs feel like jelly and you're just, your arms are gassed? I'm like, oh, it's not coming back. So we go out and we start our match and uh, I end up going two points down. I think I think he, got, he hit a sweep or something on me and uh, I'm a couple of points down. And I'm like, it's a real scramble. It turns out he is. He's strong. He's tough as nails. So we're going at it. We're going at it for the next kind of two, three minutes. And... At one point, he's trying to pass my guard. So I'm on my back and he flips me over. So me, me, me right leg goes across his body and hits the ground. And he's about to transition into mount. And I'm just like, I feel like 
I'm holding them off, holding them at bay, I'm framing, and he's, he's really working for that mount, and I'm just looking at the clock going, right, there's like less than a minute left. My arms are gassed. Even if I do uh, get him back into guard, I don't think I have the energy to sweep him. I'm like, fuck this. So I look up, and his jacket collar is after coming a little bit loose. So I reach up, and I grab a baseball bat choke, and I lock it, and I roll onto my belly, and he takes oh. my back. So he takes my back. And he gets another another four points. I think he was nine nil up at this stage. Marcus Phelan's reffing it. Sticks up the hand. Four more points for them. He's nine nil up, but I have his neck. And oh. I just cranked and cranked. And next thing I hear, and then I tap. <laughs> and I have a video of it somewhere. You just see me jumping up from under him. Everyone else is watching it and they don't have a clue what's happening. But I just throw him off. He's half asleep. I just dump him on his ass and I jump up celebrating, screaming. So it was like... <laughs> Talk about a fucking swing for the heavens! Like I just got out of jail, you know. But uh, yeah, so when that happens, it, it's it's great. It's good. It's really good because uh, it's grand winning winning by a couple of points here and there. But when you when you really pull one out of the bag when you need it most, it's uh, it's a nice old feeling, you know. Man, that fucking happened to me in Nagas. The uh, someone it was done to me that fucking baseball bat. I pulled Delaheva, transitioned to X. I swept this guy. I got mount, and he fucking grabs these grips. He fucking turns over to his back. And I nearly get put to sleep with this fucking baseball bat because I didn't want to tap because I, I just had mount a second ago. And because you're in such a good position, you kind of you push forward into it rather than back. What you need to do is you need to back the fuck away when you feel that shit coming on. You need to make some space between you and him. You can't try to mount or try to pass that guard because you're just worse for yourself. A lot of guys don't recognize it. Like, um, do you know Galera? Um, there is Nilima. Uh, no. no. He's a. He's a belt i fought him a few times but he's won the worlds at different belts he's won the europeans multiple times he's an absolute animal when he was a blue belt he won the europeans i think he put four or five opponents in a row fast asleep with the baseball bat choke Fuck. i'm not joking he won every match in his category master one blue belt he's 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 uh he's an absolute animal like you know he just gets him into his guard locks it up opens his legs they go to pass and he just rolls and just squeezes like a motherfucker, and they're out, you know, they're asleep. So um, it's it, it's very effective, especially if the other guy doesn't know what's going on. I remember when I first started using them, I was nailing everyone in the gym with them. But now you wouldn't get any of them because they all know what's coming, you know. As soon as you oh. grab it, they're just like backing out the door again. They're like, nope, nope, fuck that. It's, uh, uh, do you ever try to work like something new in your game like it's a little sneaky they see there was this bow and arrow adjustment i had like say you'd have a regular bow and arrow when you do the extension say they're defending you know the the far leg you sort of fling that behind their their head and push their, your tie right into the thing while you're pulling on the collar if that doesn't that fucks so many people up just with surprise factor alone like they'd be tapping so so quickly yeah but, you need you need on submissions and I've always been a big fan like I use um, lasso and bicep slicer quite a lot um, I've been using it so much over the last couple of months that right before a lockdown my shin and the, the tissue um, on the tibialis muscle right around the, the just to the side of the shin was bollocks like I mean it was absolute agony to touch you know when you've got a dead leg it was like oh, that God. for like a month straight I did it say it looked like a Muay Thai fighter's leg yeah, yeah, I, I caught, um, I, did, I did the Northern Ireland Open there in uh, the start of February and I caught me opponent in it and I was tied it up and I have skinny bony shins so when I squeeze on a bicep slicer it's like it's like someone's uh, in your arm and I had him tied up in it for two or three minutes and he didn't tap but like he was texting me like a month later saying look my arm is killing me like <laughs> what the fuck 
So I was squeezing on that bitch for two or three minutes. Like, Come on. And uh, my shins just, yeah, they're, they're chewed up. So this, this quarantine has given them a chance to heal up, you know. But sneaky submissions like that are great, you know. Because mm-hmm. uh, that shit coming, they're not, they're not going to fall into it too easy. Nah, dude, just because you change one little variable, it just freaks them the fuck out. Like, just surprise factor, like I'm saying, is fucking crazy. See, one thing mm. I'm really curious about, I ask all my guests this, is just, uh, what was the first seminar you ever went to? And do you remember what was taught at it? The first seminar was probably, oh, it was an Andy Ryan seminar, would you believe? Because um, I first started off training about nine years ago in, it was, um, I'm, from, I'm from County Mead, I'm from Retoton Mead, and there was a small kickboxing and um, MMA club where I opened up, up there. And I was training there for a couple of months before I sort of made the move to Team Rhino. Um, Carol Roach, the black belt in Team Rhino, he was coming down there once a week to teach jiu-jitsu classes. So I was kind of doing some of the jiu-jitsu classes, but I was mostly just doing kickboxing. Hmm. And uh, I came down to do a seminar and I found the video the other day. It's the first, I think it was the first video that I ever put on my YouTube channel. So I was scrolling back there because I like, because of my, my line of work, I have like nearly 500 videos on my YouTube channel. So I was going through the early ones and I found a little highlight video of it. It was just Andy came down and just showing us a few bits and bobs. So yeah, it, it, that's uh, that was the first one. Maybe a Carlson Gracie seminar as well around the mm-hmm. same time. Those are the couple. But Andy was showing us some judo throws. Uh, um, I've I seen him on a video on, you know, that black belt lockdown thing with uh, Barry Oglesby yeah. and uh, fucking Roger Dardis. So he's yeah. talking about his old judo days. I'm like, I like Andy. He, seem, he seems like a cool dude. I've, uh, I've met him a few times. It was a, it was a huge the, honor. Yeah. 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 He's a great man for the stories, you know. Mm-hmm. Anytime he's on any podcast, it's, uh, it's a bit of crack. Plus, I just think because of his voice, the story is like instantly just way funnier because the way he tells him just his, his accent is just like fucking amazing yeah, yeah he's a character you no know, he's an absolute character but um he's uh yeah he was he was definitely yeah i think that was most likely the first seminar anyway he did a carlson gracie one did a carlson gracie one last year as well i got a picture with him so i got the two pictures side by side me wearing a white belt with carlson me wearing a brown belt with carlson so maybe he'll come back when i <laughs> It's like a both before and after picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We both looked pretty much the same. <laughs> but uh, if quarantine ever ends and I ever do get a black belt, we'll uh, we get another picture. Hopefully, if he ever comes back over for a visit, you know. Uh, if only you had a picture of him when you were blue and purple belt, then you have the whole yeah. ensemble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd look pretty cool. Oh well, man, I could just I photoshopped that for you or something. That'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Since you look the same anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, I'm like a smaller version of him. Oh, man, see, so, um, what was the most recent one you attended, like, uh, seminar-wise? Oh, right, yeah, I haven't done one in a while, actually. Um, most recent seminar would be, I haven't really done one over the last, maybe, year. Um, we had, last year, we had um, a top man, uh, Marcos Flesha, who is the head coach Carlson Gracie Amsterdam he's uh he was over at Team Rhino headquarters and uh, it was brilliant yeah it was really good he's a uh, long time black belt a lovely guy as well and um he was one of his students Olga Lyashevska I think I'm saying it right is a good friend of mine do you know Olga black belt down in Galway yeah I've met her once and showed her my memes <laughs> Olga's a really good pal of ours 
Um, my missus used to live down there and used to go to Olga's jiu-jitsu classes. She teaches ladies' classes down there in Point Blank. And oh, I'd yeah. go down great, every great gym. Friday or every second Friday, and I'd call down and I'd go down just to train with Olga and stuff. So um, she'd use me as her dummy when she was teaching, teaching her class how to throw each other. Olga's a <laughs> very high-level judo competitor as well as jiu-jitsu competitor. She's won the Europeans. She's won multiple titles in judo. She's... She's a, she's a beast, you know. And um, Marcos is her um, her coach from Amsterdam, from where she that that was where she was based for for a long time. So he was over for that seminar, and then we all fucked off into uh, Bunsen for a burger after myself and and, and, <laughs> and Marcos. So uh, we had a, we had a bit of crack. He's a really nice guy. Bumped into him again at the Euros then a few months down uh, later, and he was uh, he sound, you know. He's a, he's a good laugh, good guy. So hopefully you catch up with him again. Might get over there for. Uh, for a bit of training, Amsterdam's a great city, you know. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you love Amsterdam. We all know why you love Amsterdam of all places. Yeah, <laughs> a good town, good good sightseeing, you know. Good jujitsu yeah, was over there. Of course, good it's, sightseeing. It's uh, it's a cool spot. I uh, do it. It's actually funny. See, uh, one of my friends is like a big stoner dude. He's going over to Amsterdam, and one of our friends who trains with us moved over there. And like, um, I was like, oh, dude, you're gonna train with our boy while you're over there. He's like. Uh, I actually forgot he lived over there. <laughs> he was just going over there to get high. <laughs> <laughs> I was over there for the birthday. It's a good spot. I've never been before. Actually, it's really, uh, it's really nice. Mm. And I was lucky enough to get some jujitsu training in while I was there as well. So I always make a point of bringing a bringing a gi and getting and just getting the class under my belt anytime I'm away on a city break because it's a nice way to meet people and and get out and about, you know. Mm. oh man i remember see i just make it a point whenever i'm going anywhere to fucking bring the gi and train somewhere like i was up in dublin only for like one fucking day and uh i was staying with my aunt and uncle they lived near royal grappling academy so i was like okay looks like that's where i'm going great gym yeah you went in to train with the guys there did you uh man i've been there about four or five times i fucking love that place it's so yeah good. wait was that when um, was that while they were in the new facility that they're in now I've been to the old facility twice and the new facility three times. Yeah, the new one is beautiful. We were there on, uh, it's around Christmas, they do the, the 12 rolls of Christmas. <laughs> yeah. That was phenomenal. It was packed. It was absolutely jammed. But it was brilliant. It was like um, it was like being in the jungle. You couldn't see through all the sweat and the mist. But uh, <laughs> bodies everywhere. It was crazy. Just some, some some great vibes on the old mat around Christmas up there, you know? Mm. Uh, I went to a 12 rolls of Christmas thing in uh, T45 in Cork. So, oh, uh, yeah, with Rohan, yeah. I do it. He was on the podcast about three episodes ago. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Uh, man, have you ever learned something from a seminar that's become like an integral part of your game? It's become an integral part of your game. You see, uh, it's just clicked very well, and you're like, I'm keeping that. That's a mainstay now. Um, oh, let me see. Let me see. I'm trying to think specifically what I've learned from. Yes, yeah, Jake McKenzie was over doing um, a seminar on deep half guard and things like that with us in uh, Team Rhino a couple of years back. And Wait, was that in like 2017, in like September yeah. around? Yeah, it could have been, could have been, yeah. Man, that, Jake McKenzie was my first ever seminar. Oh, you were you at that time? Yeah, he's um, yeah, he was brilliant. Like, and there was there was a little thing he showed where it's it's a little way of regaining your underhook. So if you're you're on bottom half guard. And the other guy has the underhook. He has a little, uh, just a little bridge and a, a, a way of kind of getting your your half guard, your underhook back for your half guard. 
just a little to a little kind of detail that he did to it and it's, yeah, I've been using it ever since it's um it's phenomenal you just pick up like if you pick up one detail that that stands to you and sticks in your game for 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 a long time after a seminar I feel like they're worth it you know sometimes you come out of these seminars and there's just there's too much you know there's too much to, to digest but uh I find like yeah I'm, I'm happy if I can pick up one or two things that I'll always use from that moment on that's 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 great you know mm. Oh man, is there anyone when when all this lockdown thing is uh, all done, all this everything goes back to normal? Is there anyone in particular you'd want to go to the seminar by? Is there anyone you'd want to learn by? Like someone has a great game, you just want to learn uh, the intricacies of their game. Do you know what? I've never actually rolled with or trained with Tom King, and I know Tom a long time, and he's fucking sound. Um, back in the day when I used to do podcasts myself, I had a good, really good interview with Tom. Really nice guy to chat to. He's bang on, and he's just a brilliant, brilliant competitor. Really accomplished. Um, I've been up to his gym. I popped up over Christmas to train. Uh, he wasn't in that day, but I was training with Chris Fields, and I know a lot of the, the MMA guys in his gym. So they're all sound. They're bang on. Um, I want to get over there again. So I'm trying to. Ju- I'm gonna. I'm gonna just make a point to get down to visit the lads. That's uh, Team KF in uh, Swords in Dublin. So they're sort of at the opposite end of Dublin to where I am. But hmm. uh, worth the trip. Well worth you know. the trip. Well worth oh, imagine. Yeah. A great gym. Like they have um Ashling Daly tra- uh, teaches there. They have Chris Fields teaches there. Chris Chris is is amazing. And uh, Tom Tom Tom's as Tom's as high level as they come in this country. So I want to uh fuck fuck all the big international names. I want to I want to get over and get a get a session in with Tom, you know. Um I do make a habit of uh kind of training a little bit now and again around Christmas time. What I'll do is I make a habit of getting around to open mats and stuff. So I think mm. I got around four or five different gyms in one week around Christmas week, which was great crack. I just, and I, Christmas I, I week is so fucking annoying in uh, jiu-jitsu terms because all the, the schedule's all fucking annoying. Like, I didn't have it too bad in my gym around Christmas there, but it's so fucking annoying when the fucking schedule's all up in the air. It's really annoying yeah. trying to find a place to train. We, we didn't actually have much going on. Usually around Christmas, we have a good gang getting ready for the Euros. But this year, there wasn't two. There was only like two of our, three of our lads went over to do it. So uh, there wasn't really much training going on. There was a couple of open mats here and there for Christmas, but nothing much. I just took the opportunity then to get around. I was uh, where was I? I was at Royal and Grappling Academy. I was in Team KF. Uh, down in Paddy Houlihan's gym as well. Paddy Houlihan's gym is right beside where I work. It's right beside my gym. So I pop into the guys all the time to train on there. Uh, they have a Sunday open mat, and it's, it's Sunday mass, we call it. I pop in maybe every second or third week just to catch up if I've missed this training session during the week and stuff because with life being so busy these days I don't really get down onto the mats as much as I, I used to so it's great to be able to pop in and just catch up and maybe get eight or ten rounds under your belt on a Sunday morning you know they're always very welcome amen uh one day one day one of his guys came down to train with us for a couple of months and like uh you know they're all really sound I've met met Paddy once or twice he's a really cool dude Man, I actually, mm-hmm. I, I actually texted him one time um, at um, around December when Grappin Industries was on. I was like, are you going to be at Grappin Industries? Because I had his book and I was hoping to get it signed by him. And then he didn't show up. I was like, I'm going to die no. for this. Yeah, no, Paddy, Paddy's a really nice guy. Really good training partner for me as well. We we get really good rounds like he puts it on me, you know, because we're same size. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's just, he's he's so fucking good. Like, yeah. When you're rolling with him, like I'm probably a couple of kilos heavier than him, uh, but when I'm rolling with him, it's like 
I feel like I feel like it's Andy Ryan sitting on top of me. He's just got such good. <laughs> he's training twice as long as me, so you sort of feel that that different pressure, you know, that uh, that strength, that pinch. He's excellent, you know, really good to move around with. Like so, uh, I do I do enjoy getting the rounds in with Paddy when I get the chance. Mm. Okay, guys, we've reached a portion, a section of the podcast I like to call a round of specifics. Just a few rapid fire questions, some of which have, uh, are jujitsu based and some of which have nothing to do with jujitsu. So, Paul, do you want to do a round of specifics? Let's do this. Let's do this. <laughs> and then, um, what was your favorite TV show growing up? Uh, the A Team. That van is kicking. I do. Exactly. Dog is barking the house down. She must. Uh, Grace, shut the fuck up. <laughs> there must be a dog walking by outside. She goes mad when uh, when someone walks by outside. Yeah, that's what it was. Someone walking by with their dog. Anyway, uh, my neighbor, my neighbor's rat of a dog was fucking going crazy out there. Just there, I'm like, did did that dog just hear that dog barking on the fucking podcast? I'm like, how does that work? <laughs> that could be it. She's fairly loud. She oh, hates man. dogs as well, so she goes mad. <laughs> Uh, I actually saw it the other day while you were holding your dog in like one hand she was like sitting like a human in your hand I was like what the fuck yeah she's she's like a little person you know she she thinks she's a human so she hates dogs hates cats hates birds fucking hates animals she and just nev- never let her look at her own, this is it she has her own room in my new house here so we have like you know we have three bedrooms here one is the baby's room the baby's too young she doesn't sleep and then we've the other spare room Gracie just ah she's taking that that's her now. So comes like half eight at night, she just kind of toddles off upstairs and goes to bed. And then she comes down to get fed. It's like a grumpy teenager. Like, <laughs> How the fuck can the dog be so intelligent? It's unreal. She just sits up like that sometimes, just sits on my hand and I lift her and carry her around. Like, yeah, she loves it. What the? Very uh, odd. Are you spoiling the dog much, giving her her own room? She, she kind of took it. <laughs> she, yeah. <laughs> I put her outside there the other day because she was bald and like, she she's never spent a night outside in her like even a day outside in her life she like she's she's been spoiled rotten her whole life so she sort of just stands at the window just shaking and looking in going what the fuck man what are you doing (laughs) you know what's the worst see uh i had two dogs they were both like springer spaniels and like um i'd be eating in this one room watching the telly and and like see they'd be sitting because we have this like glass doors so they'd be sitting there outside the door watching me eat and pawing at the window because they wanted more food. I'm like, would you fuck <laughs> off, like? Yeah. They just know how to tug on the old heartstrings, motherfuckers. Oh, God. And then, uh, what was your first video game console and what was your favourite game on it? Oh, my first console. I had a... Shit, what did I have? Cannot remember. Me mate had an Atari. And that's going way back, like when they're dude. The fucking wood finish on that was next to nothing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They were dirt. What did I have though? Maybe I don't think I ever really. I had a, I had a couple of Playstations and that back in the day, but I was a bit late to the party because my best mates always had them, so I'd always just be in their gas playing. I had three sisters. I grew up in a house with a single mother and three sisters, so like hogging the TV with a fucking console wasn't a thing. Uh, I was that, that's a bad idea. Had it going up. Fuck off! Fuck off to your mate's house. So I had to go around and play on his, uh, he had a Sega Mega Drive then as well. And that was, uh, we were living it up then. Mm. Oh man, that's some good retro there. Who's yeah. uh, the most famous person, whether it be a jiu-jitsu person or just a regular celebrity that you've met? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, I'm sure there's more. 
there's definitely more. Uh, yeah, but I met Sir Alex Ferguson years ago, and I was kind of that was one of the only times I was ever. Uh, I've met McGregor a bunch of times, I suppose. So he's probably just as famous. But um, yeah, Alex Ferguson probably back in the day. I was first time I was ever starstruck. <laughs> and the most famous person I ever met was fucking Mrs. Doyle from Father Ted. <laughs> <laughs> Holly McGinn, yeah. I said you not. <laughs> yeah, legend. Oh, well, my dad met Sean Bean one time. I'm so fucking jealous of him. Yeah, Sean Bean's a bit of a legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, at least he kept his head on. Ned Stark, yeah, great man. <laughs> and then, uh, what's the most embarrassing injury you've had, whether it be jiu-jitsu-related or non-jiu-jitsu-related? Embarrassing injury? Like, just the way you got, you got injured was fucking ridiculous. Oh, okay. Um, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. I've broken quite a few things actually. Now that <laughs> nine years of jujitsu, I've, bro- I've broken my arm. I've dislocated my arm. I've broken my pinky. Um, I've broken my ribs. I've broken my nose. Yeah, my first kickboxing fight in the first exchange, I broke my nose and my rib. Fuck. So like we walked across the ring to each other, touched gloves, and then he broke my nose and my rib. And then the next three rounds were great crack. <laughs> so that was uh, that was interesting. Yeah, that was a good start to the night. Just the first exchange, he landed a kick on the body and landed a straight right down the down the pipe. And uh, it was like, oh, no, 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 here we go. Shit, there's a long time to go. It's another nine minutes to go here, mate. Let's slow it down there. So, oh fuck. That was that was fun. Uh, dude, I say they know you by name down the fucking hospital. Like, oh man, it's fucking Paul again. What's he broke this time? Dude, I tell you what, I went down there one. I was training. There was yeah, so I was competing in the Cork Open. I think was the tournament. It was a Saturday tournament, and feeling great, training good. Friday comes, go to work, coming home early in the the, the day, drive home, put my feet up. I get out of the car to open the gate because the, the place I was living at the time had electric gates and a, a code so I get out to type the code in and I'm like what the fuck am I limping my leg feels stiff just a, re- a wheel you know sort of a your legs half asleep feeling mm. not nothing of it I go in and I sit down for a bit and I think it was when the World Cup was on way back in the day I think it was like 2014 was the year when Robin Van Persie scored that diving header against someone or other but I was watching that game it was on in the afternoon and I was sitting down watching it and I had shorts on and my legs were, my feet were up and I could feel heat on my knee when I touched my knee. It's like, that's weird. So I go to stand up and I can't stand up. It's actually killing me when I get up. What the uh. fuck? So the whole knee is inflamed and I look at it and it's red. And it, it was at a stage where I could put my hand six inches away from the knee and I could feel the heat radiating off it. So I'm like, okay, something's fucking wrong here. So I ring me ma, like any sensible adult does, you know? Ring me ma'am and I say, look... I'm in trouble here. Something's on fire. What do I do? And she's like, that could be some sort of fucking infection or something. Like, put some ice in it, see what happens. So put some ice in it, chill out for a while. And it's getting so painful now that I'm getting lightheaded. So I'm like, okay, something's fucking wrong. So I ring the hospital. At the time, I was living in Ashburn in Mead. And my mum says, uh, you'd be better off going to, I'll come get you. And we'll bring you to, it's like 15 minutes from there is Navin Hospital. They have a like a, a, an outpatient thing, where you, like a casualty thing, where you don't have to go into the actual hospital accident emergency. You can just go in and you'll get seen to fairly quick. So she drives me down there. By the time we get down there, I'm ready to pass out with the pain. And I've never <laughs> felt that. Like, I'm, I'm real worried. My leg is going purple. Like So they, they look at me in there. They're like, okay, you need to go to Blanchardstown Hospital now. 
we're going to send you up there we're going to ring ahead so you're not going to be waiting this is a priority case there's a really really bad blood infection here and if you leave it you might fucking die or something so i'm like oh thanks this is brilliant so uh, they should be off to the hospital and they pumped me full of drugs me white blood cell count was through the roof they said i ended up having to stay in there for like i think it was seven or eight days and i was staying in the orthopedic unit and they were pumping like anti antibiotics into me intravenously every three hours for eight days so i didn't get a night's sleep for the whole time i was there because like you'd be asleep then they'd be waking you up and sticking needles in your arm it was awful fuck my leg it just swelled up that was very weird that was a very odd sensation but the night i was in there i was in casualty all night the first night full of drugs and artem lobov was in as well so so randomly i'm saying Artem, what's the crack and i think he had like kidney stones or something so we were uh. sitting beside each other and casually for 24 hours off our heads and painkillers. Uh, <laughs> you just fucking, yeah, you have some mad stories coming out of these hospital visits. You, you, can, you can make that shit up. like You know, it was just bizarre. And there was another time, the time I broke my arm, I dislocated my elbow completely. I was training, uh, training for an MMA fight in, in HQ and Redzer took me down and my arm folded the wrong way, like uh. nine, nine degrees the wrong way at the elbow. So I go to push Redzer off and I can feel my hand touching his rib. But when I'm looking, I can't see a hand. I'm like, where, where's, why isn't he, why can't I get him off me? And I look over to my left and there's my arm flailed across the floor. And it's, it's completely broken off at the elbow. Like it's, it hasn't broken skin, but it, it was loose. It was flopped Ugh. the other way, twisted Fuck. the wrong way around. So they had to get an ambulance up and everything. Like it was in a bad way. Like, and they, they brought me to, um, the ambulance brought me at the hospital and they had me doped up on, on like gas or whatever. They bring me in and they're like, um, they give me these drugs, you know, and I says, what are you giving me? And he goes, well, we're going to reset your arm shortly, but uh, this is, um, we're giving you the Michael Jackson drug. Said, what, 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 fuck, what, what's a Michael Jackson drug? Oh, it's the, it's the drug that killed Michael Jackson. So I was thinking, that's, okay, reassuring. that's, that's reassuring. That's making me calm down a bit. That's cool. So anyway, I'm lying there. Like They're like, we're going to do that in a couple of minutes. Chill out there for a second. Be back to you now. So I'm lying there for 10 minutes, you know, I'm sitting on the on the, the gurney and I'm like, 10 minutes has gone by, nothing's going on. I says, nurse, uh, come here for a sec. What's going on? When When is the doctor going to do this? Like, I'm just sitting here like, she goes, mate, we did that half an hour ago. Look at the <laughs> clock. I'm like, what? So like, I was completely off my chops on these drugs. And then I just came back out of it and like nothing had happened. And she said to me, she said, when we were doing that, when we were putting your arm back in, you went fucking bananas. You were punching, you were kicking, <laughs> you were shouting, shrimp, 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 shrimp. <laughs> so we had to strap you to the bed so that we could put your arm in. And I looked down, and I'm strapped to the fucking gurney. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. No way. Yeah, and my arm was fucked after that. There's a, I still have a hole. It looks like a hole. It's like a huge big dent in the inside of my elbow. It's crazy. But, oh, dude, uh, that, you fucking showed me that at Grappin Industries. You're like, oh, look at this. That's me. Show me this. No grossing oh, people out, just just flex me left arm and it just sort of it just indents. You just get this big hole right under the elbow where it just knit uh, back right. Mad it weird flex. But Literally weird it. flex. But yeah, you, you pick up a few weird injuries along the route when you do jujitsu for long enough, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have a do you have a favorite grappling match that you've watched? Like uh where it'd be like submission underground, ADCC, or just one that you've seen like in person? Specific match? Yeah. Um, ooh, that's a good one. Let me see. Let me see. I'm not 
as much of a nerd for watching grappling as I am for MMA. I love watching MMA. I love. Uh, I much prefer to watch it. <clears throat> Whereas I don't know uh, specific grappling match. Ooh, not really. No, not 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 a specific one. Um, I like watching portions of matches. I'm not great. It's, do you know what I did love? Gary Tonin and Husamar Palhares. Ooh, was that at the recent ADCC or was that a while ago? Oh, no, the, that was in um, Polaris a couple of years back. Did you ever see that? Uh, I might have seen it, but like, it's probably drawing a blank right now. It's on YouTube. Go check it out because Polaris is just, it's like Polaris. So he's hes completely juiced out of his fucking tits. Like there's no drug testing there. Yeah, was so that when he was wearing like the little short shorts and Gary was on his back for ages? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and he's yeah, just... Yeah, He's just throwing him off him a few times. It's such a good match. Gary Tonin just has balls of steel for a little fella. Like he's, what is he, 60-something kilos? Um, or just mm-hmm. on, maybe he's, um, yeah, but like, fuck me. He doesn't give a shit. He just, he was just all over like a, like a wasp. And uh, it's, it's phenomenal. I love watching shit like that, yeah. Really good mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu. Um, especially seeing little guys against the big guys like that sometimes. Someone, someone who knows how to, to pull that off is a is, is special to watch, you know. <clears throat> but I prefer I prefer to watch a good no gi grappling match than a, a gi match. Like I like mm. watching certain gi matches and for for the certain intricacies, but sitting through 10, 15 minutes of it, no, fuck that. Yeah, I've gained a bit of more of an appreciation for no gi stuff while during this lockdown because I was like a big gi fan, but I've watched a lot more no gi during this whole fucking thing. I've gained more of an appreciation for it. Yeah, like when I compete and train, it's nearly always in the gi. I'm terrible at no gi, but uh, I um, it's cause just because my time is limited to train. Um, what we're having a business and a baby, so it's like you kind of gotta pick a horse and ride that one rather than trying to ride them all, you know. But uh, it's sure. Uh, it's tough. I did. I did. Um, I was like, I compete once in a, once in a blue moon in no gi, and it's like it's always bizarre because I don't really train it, so it's like. <laughs> It's like learning to drive all over again. You're falling all over the place. It's a bit of fun. Oh, God. I mean, do you have a, since you like MMA as so much, do you have a favorite UFC fights in particular? UFC fight. Oh, that recent one with the with Joanna Jacek and Zhang Weili was, that was good. That was real good. Did you see that? Uh, no, sorry. Right. Bl- blanked a bit in that one. It was, uh, it was recent enough. It was about two months ago. Oh, fuck me, it was amazing. It was uh, those two girls are bad motherfuckers. Uh, Dominic Cruz, anything with Dominic Cruz, I love watching. It's fun, mm. phenomenal. Um, oh, dude, did you see a submission underground with Craig Jones and Vinny McIlash? I saw pictures of it. I didn't actually see the actual uh, match itself, but I saw. I oh, have a similar picture of me getting heel hooked, and my leg is is back. <laughs> picture, I must send it to you. But uh, oh, did yeah. you hear what your man did? Yeah, he got like on the portion of his foot that's the most fucked up. He got tattooed. Fuck Craig Jones, I think. <laughs> Good man. He's a. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's fucking ballsy, man. Do you have um, any other martial arts you're interested in besides uh, jujitsu? Well, I. Yeah, it's mostly MMA because you see, I work in the MMA scene. Like I judge MMA fights, um, and I've always been in and around, in and around the fight game. A huge, just a huge big fan of it. Um, bit of kickboxing here and there. I do like watching a bit of kickboxing as well. Um, not huge amounts of it because I can just. But boxing, boxing, I love boxing. I love watching, watching just straight up boxing. You know, 
Mm. I'd be a big, a big old fan of the of the boxing too. So um, mm. you, yeah. lo- you love the Rocky movies, I imagine. Rocky movies, they're so cheesy, they're great. But like they're, they're, you watch them back after seeing them years ago, and then you watch them back, you're like, oh, I can't believe it's this tacky. Funny enough, I watched uh, Bloodsport the other night and hadn't seen. It. You watch it every once every five years, and each time I'm amazed at how fucking cheesy it is. <laughs> how bad it really is, you know. Oh my god! I gotta send you this video. The guy Bloodsport's based off of this fucking <clears throat> Frank Dukes. Yeah, yeah. The whole is it the the whole thing debunking all the shit he ever talked. Yeah, like just this whole story about winning the Kumite, like such f- fifty-five consecutive knockouts. It's like it's Shut all the bullshit. Fuck up. Yeah, because the stats come up at the end of the movie, and it's like Frank Dukes was undefeated from nineteen seventy-five to nineteen eighty. He won. 4,900 <laughs> you don't even have enough time to do 4,000 fights let alone win yeah. every single fucking one 56 so consecutive knockouts really Frank you fucking liar was, was it, no was it inter- bare knuckle there was no internet back in the day so you could just make up shite did you see that thing I posted a little while ago about the guy that was pretending to be me oh yeah the, they like CGI'd you to look fatter and they said they put this other guy's head on it fuck was that about like he got a photo of me and he emailed. What he did was I was talking to the guy who's the promoter of the bare knuckle boxing in, in Leeds in the UK. He's, um, by all accounts, this guy's a bit of a snake fucking promoter, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, basically he put up this ad saying, right, we have this guy coming. He's going to be on our show. He's a jiu-jitsu champion. He's a bare knuckle champion. You know, his name is Maddie Eastwood or whatever. So I go to fucking look for this Maddie Eastwood guy on Facebook and I can't find him. Because someone else had sent it to me. And I said, mm-hmm. you, can you see his profile? He said, yeah. So he's obviously blocked me. He's gone on my profile, stolen some pictures, and then blocked me so I wouldn't see it. Ugh. But he photoshopped them so that he put a beer gut on it because he's like 100 kilos or something, and I'm like 70. So a beer gut on it, and just it's a really warped-looking picture. It was when I won one of the Irish Opens, and I'm getting my hand raised, and the shirt, the, the gi jacket is open. And like in the <laughs> picture, like I'm pretty lean in the picture, and I'm a fucking featherweight. But not in the one that he sent your man. Oh and motor and I, I texted the motor and I was like, "What the fuck?" And I was sh- sh- sending him the pictures. And he goes, "Oh man, I don't know what the fuck that's about." Because the guy is booked to fight on my show next month. Is he like? Is he having a laugh? Like, so yeah, he was just basically some head taste. He was never really competed, but he emailed the guy who's running one of those BKB shows and wants to get in there. Obviously, just a bit of a mad bastard, like. And uh, who's me winning stuff? No, it's not, mate. That's clearly photoshopped. I sent it to uh, uh, C. Gordon. You know Cecile Gordon? The f- um, yeah, yeah, I know her. Photographer, yeah. She she took the picture, the original picture, because she, she came to a couple of tournaments. She's a good pal of mine, and she took some really good photos of me and gave them to me as a gift, you know? And uh, they're amazing pics, you know, really good quality. And I sent it to her, and she was like, well, that's fucking stealing my work, so I'm going to text the cunt. So she texted him and kind of threatened them with a le- with legal proceedings and all sorts of stuff. So uh, the photos got taken down, but I couldn't believe it. Talk about man. Like I thought like with, with the internet and social media being so prevalent, you wouldn't get away with shit like that. But that's some Frank Duke shit. That's like, yeah, I'm a champion in this, that and the other. No one will ever know that I'm talking through my... <laughs> oh, my master told me to win the Kumite and his deathbed. Oh, what the... Did you hear the story Joe Rogan always tells about the guy that... Uh, that did something like that, no? Was it uh, the street karate thing with Bas Rutten? No, so thing? basically he was talking about this guy. So I think he's a friend of Eddie Bravo's, but basically your man, this was like way back in the 80s, and your man basically got his mate 
I think it might have been Eddie Bravo, got him to drop him to a certain location in the forest. And he had this big duffel bag with him, four foot long. He goes, yeah, I'm fighting in this, uh, you know, private Kumite tournament, you know, be here in 48 hours to pick me up. And he just dropped him off in the forest and off your man went. So his mate was like, okay, whatever. Comes back 48 hours later, your man doesn't have the bag anymore, but he has a trophy that's miraculously the same size as the bag. Mm, Funny that. Knocked out like 10 guys and fucked them all up, yeah. So now I'm the private Kumite champion. You go, what? Are you fucking having a laugh, mate? You've just been sleeping in the forest for 48 hours and you dumped the bag. What the fuck? Like, you know, there's people Uh, out there that sick in the head, you know? You'll get found out. Stop talking shit. (laughs) It's bonkers. It's fucked up. And uh, do you have a favorite period in history? Like, if you had a time machine, where's the first fucking place you'd go? Oh, um. Let me see, let me see, let me see. Where would I go? Where would I go? That's a good one, that's a good one. The 60s, the fucking music, man. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Maybe for the music, maybe hit the 60s. Yeah, yeah. Go and catch up and uh, get in there at the, at the early days of rock and roll and Motown and all that stuff. Yeah, tunes would have been good. The, the 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 party scene would have been good. Some good some good. Uh, <laughs> you just want to hang out with the fucking Beatles all day. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? You could go back and fucking find Charles Manson and his mates and kick the shit out of a few of them. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you um, could be you, you could go back there and just be the the guy who makes jujitsu famous. You know, you mm. could go there and just strangle a load of motherfuckers and. and or you, you could just go to tournaments and all the modern stuff like lapel guard and stuff and just mess them all up. They're like, whoa, what the fuck. You know, you know, turn up at UFC one with a decent ground game. That hoist Gracie that turned up at UFC one, he wasn't all that fucking special at the time, you know. It was uh, <laughs> you watch those fights back, like he was probably like he was good for what was around at the time, but in comparison to what's out now, like he was he wasn't good at all. Like, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's, yeah, I watch UFC two because I'm I'm doing a lot of like watching stuff on YouTube and going down rabbit holes, and I watch UFC two and it's just terrible. Like uh. so he's fighting Japanese kung fu guy who's like half his size. The guy has zero grappling experience, <clears throat> and like even hoist just takes forever to fucking put him away. Just doesn't know how to put him away. And they have this stuntman doing co-commentator on it, and he's just full of shite. He doesn't have a clue what he's looking at. He's trying to bluff it. So like hoist just throws an armbar on this guy, and the guy is tapping before the arms extend. He just taps anyway. The arm doesn't even get pulled out straight. Doesn't give a fuck. The co-commentator's like, oh, I think he blew a capsule in his arm, George. Like, no. He fucking pull it. He just tapped because he panicked. What are you talking about? Like, it's just, yeah, the jiu-jitsu is fairly rudimentary. So if you turned up there with a good a good jiu-jitsu base, you'd probably strangle a lot of those motherfuckers yourself anyway. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, man, like you said about the Charlie Manson thing, uh, I say that would make a better movie than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> Mm. I, I loved it. I like. I really liked the movie. I thought it was just quirky and mad. Mm. But uh, yeah, being able to just strangle a lot of those motherfuckers would be great out crack, you know. Mm. Yeah, see, while we're on the topic of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, see, uh, well, I sort of went in with the wrong expectation. I was expecting like a Charlie Manson murder movie, which I thought was right up Tarantino's alley. I was expecting a love letter to like sixties Hollywood. I'm like, fuck's it. Yeah, it was. Um, I thought Leonardo DiCaprio was brilliant in it. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, he just he, he loves to just put his own twist on history, doesn't he? He did the same with Hitler in Inglorious Bastards, like so. It was uh, that's just Tarantino. He's just he, he just does bizarre stuff like that. 
Uh, dude, does some pretty good films. And uh, do you have a um, favorite philosopher? Hmm. Not so much. Uh, Sun Tzu is very has some good stuff. I don't know if you ever. I, I just oh, listen to the I got the, the Art of War up in my room. My room. I give it a quick uh, peruse occasionally. Yeah, it's an interesting read, and you know, there's a lot of good things in there that can be can be uh, useful for when you're competing in any anything really. But in in jujitsu specifically, there's a lot of mm. a lot of stuff he kind of comes out with. And this is a long time ago that it was written, and I'm sure it's been a lot of stuff was lost in translation. But uh, yeah, just the way he would kind of leave his opponents waiting so that they'd be nervous and. You know, and maybe trick people into thinking that they weren't in for as tough a scrap. You know, there's there's a lot of little 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 things he he, he does and little, uh, little tips and tricks in it. You know, so I suppose that would be a that'd be the one that'd be the go to, yeah, because that'd have the most relevance for what I do these days. You know. Yeah. See, uh, while we're on the topic of uh, like Sun Tzu and the like, see, um, a great book I'd recommend to you is uh, The 48 Laws of Power, because they have est- extracts of Sun Tzu in there. They're just explaining di- the di- dynamics of power and dichotomy and stuff, and they use several of Sun Tzu's examples. Okay. What's it called? 48? Uh, 48 Laws of Power. Okay. Okay. It's on, it's on uh, Audible. It's like a... Uh, Lovely. I have a handful of Audible credits I need to use, so I'll get on that now. I'll get that downloaded today. Mm. Awesome, bro. Uh, see, uh, do you have a favorite gi or gi brand? I have a couple of grips ones that I really like, specifically because the pants are nice. They're, they're, the pants stay on, whereas most fucking things they just open and they start falling all over the place. But uh, of a few wolf, two or three wolfhound ones that have served me very well over the years as well. Um, really nice ones. Uh, and uh shout out to Ian there from Wolfhound, top man. Um yeah, they gave me they gave me some nice stuff over the years. They they sent me uh, a lovely personalized rash guard back when I was a purple belt. Shit, son. Uh, a long a long sleeve ranked rash guard with my name emblazoned across the fucking back. <laughs> the team Rhino logo emblazoned across the front. That was a badass present to receive in the post one morning. That was pretty awesome, but uh, yeah, they're 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 great, uh, great guys, you know. I mm. uh, do. I have uh, one of their rash guards, the, the Ireland looking one. I got that for my birthday. I fucking love it. It's pretty good. Yeah, I have one now. Actually, yeah, my girlfriend got me a brown belt one, a short sleeve ranked one, and it has uh, it has my name on it as well. It has like the Team Rhino Crest and my name on the front, you know, and it's mm. fucking beautiful. It has a big Team Rhino Crest on the rib. And then just my name, where the let's say on the the left uh, peck, so it's um it's pretty badass, you know. They do some <laughs> real quality shit. Yeah, dude, it sounds pretty cool. Do you have a favorite music genre? Favorite music genre? Oh, it changes. Um, I play guitar, so I've always been into guitar music, bass music, rock music, um, bits and bobs. At the moment. Real old school hip hop. I'm listening to a lot of Public Enemy, Easy, uh, NWA, that kind of stuff. Um, I kind of, yeah, I've just been kind of zoned in on a lot of that while I'm out running and stuff because I've been doing a lot more running since this pandemic kicked off. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I've been kind of honing in on a bit of that and, and whatnot and what and catching up on some going down YouTube rabbit holes, going through some uh, old hip hop history and, and things like that. So, there's some really cool stuff there. Um, yeah, that, that'll be it at the moment, I think. Mm. I do. It's pretty good. A fucking uh, 
I have an appreciation for old school rap shit. Because, mm. like, I think modern rap's kind of shit. Oh, it's, brutal. Yeah. It's, it's all the same. It's just bitches, hoes, money, money. But there was a bit yeah, more fucking yeah. nuance and shit back in the day. Nothing for me. It's just too drab. But um, the fucking balls out of the guys, that, like, that, that, that straight out of Compton album back. Oh, I remember, because I, like, I showed me age, but I remember going into secondary school and the likes of NWA and Cypress Hill and House of Pain and all that stuff was all new and fresh. And it was just crazy. I just remember getting into all of that back in back then, and then become more involved in like heavy metal and rock music and stuff as I was growing up, grunge music. But it did varies. At the moment, I'm listening to a lot of hip hop, but uh, it it does change. But yeah, it's only the old hip hop, only the old school shit, you know. Mm, yeah, dude, I I get you. Have you seen the Defiant ones on Netflix? The the documentary, no. The what? The Defiant ones. Uh, no. What's the deal with that? Did you see Straight Outta Compton, the movie? Uh, I watched the first half, half. I thought the first half was good, but then it just, the movie just kind of went into the, into the shitter for me, so I just stopped watching halfway through. Yeah, so it's basically an extended variation of that story. So the movie, the documentary is a four-part, and it's about Ice Cube uh, and another guy called Jimmy Iovine, who was a music uh, producer. And it's about the, how they grew up. So Jimmy Iovine grew up in New York, and he ended up... He ended up falling into working as an engineer on the Bruce Springsteen album, Born to Run, one of the greatest albums of all time. I think he ended up producing it through whatever. Just one of those things where someone quit and he was there and he was working on a couple of tracks and Bruce just went, fuck it, you're in. You're doing the rest of the album. And then then he ended up producing like Fleetwood Mac and U2 and some of the most massive albums of the 70s, 80s, 90s and whatnot. And all about the on the, it, the two stories run parallel. So how Dr. Dre grew up, got into NWA, that all went tits up, and they got into you know Rufus Records and stuff with your man Suge Knight, and how that mm. all tits up. And then they sort of end up meeting, and they get together, and they form their own record company. Which in the two thousands they had all the biggest music in the world. They had Fifty Cent, Black Eyed Peas, all of that stuff, anything and everything that was big. Nelly Furtado back in that decade. Everyone was under them, but their banner. Eminem, they discovered Eminem and brought him, brought him to into in, the spotlight. So it's all about that, and the production level on the documentary is amazing. Um, all of these artists are in it, being interviewed, and then of course they invent the Beats headphones, and then they they sell that contract for like three billion, and the <laughs> billionaires in the history of of hip hop. So. Yeah, it's it's a phenomenal documentary if if you like your tunes. It, it mm. starts, covers a load of genres, and it ha, it's just it just interviewing them the whole way through and all the people that they ever worked with, like Bono and and people like that. It's crazy, so it's well worth a watch, you know. Mm. Uh, dude, um, who inspires you the most? Where it be just their work ethic or their mentality? Work ethic. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, <clears throat> I would have. Uh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Let me see, let me see, let me see. Um, the team, the team we have where we train Team Rhino, I look around the gym and I see the likes of Paul Redmond. And like he's reached the heights, he's fought in the UFC, he's fought at every big promotion in the world. Um, I look what he's doing in training and he's the first on the map and the last off and he's just doing a bit more than everyone. And he's like, I think he's about 33 now, but everyone's still just chasing his tail everyone's still just following reds are and working hard so 
he's he's up there, you know. But I'm surrounded by them in 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 our gym. Like there's there's some really really top level black belts in our gym and guys who are just competing and 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 uh, and putting it on the line all the time. So I just sort of follow their lead, you know. I just try to keep up and just try to try to stay afloat. And you know, I um I've always had a little competitive. It's a it's a personality trait where even if I'm not competing right now, I'm not competing, but I still push myself to do this, that, and the other. Like jujitsu stopped, and then I went for a run the first week, and I hadn't ran in like three months because usually I'd run now and again, but not regularly. Mm-hmm. And we went for a run with the team Rhino lads the first like seven weeks ago, the first week of the of the whole uh, lockdown thing, and uh, it took me nearly an hour. Now I was ahead of a lot of the guys that did it but I was like okay I haven't run in so long that now I'm slow so now I need to get better so then I got I knocked a bit of time off it and then a bit of time off it again and then I looked at me for me previous personal best for a 10k I was like well now I can now and my next target is to beat that and now I've beaten that so I've set myself a new target to beat so I always have a little just a competitive thing going on in my head I need to have a little something to look for I can't just go and exercise you know I need yeah. to be I'd, I'd, I'd be very meticulous with when I train. I keep a track of every workout I do. I could ch- go open up a file on my laptop and show you every single strength and conditioning workout I've done in the last 10 years. I just log fucking in. Hell. Like I'm real fucking accountant and, and anal about it. Like I could log into it. Like this is what I was doing in January, February, March, 2014, 15, 16, 17. Oh, well, so then, man, like, I guess it's better to care too much than not enough. Well, you know, like, and it's, it's, I'm not like that in every area of my life, but then like in certain ones I am, like, I'm just meticulous. It's a good habit to be in because then when I, when I perform well at certain tournaments, I can look back and go through and go, right, well, this is what I was doing in preparation for that. And that's how I got myself feeling good. And this is why I was, didn't feel great at that tournament because I was doing this. Maybe I was overworking. My my volume was too high. So I sort of keep track of things like that, you know, Um, Mm. It's a it's a it's a good thing to implement, even even just uh, just to keep yourself accountable, you know. And mm-hmm. I just I've always just had that inner inner drive anyway to do it, you know. Yeah, I get you, man. There's a lot of contributing factors. You want to see what's working good for you if, when you uh, when you're around a yeah, when you look back at a good performance. You want to see what what you were doing around the time that may or may not have contributed to it. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, yeah, it's you're not you're not just kind of hoping that something will work. You you kind of want to have confidence in it, you know. So so that's mm. kind of I would be a bit on the anal side about stuff like that, but look, it's my job as well. I kind of I do it for a living, so I, like I train people, so I have to show them how to how to reap the rewards of the, the, these kind of things, you know. So it, uh, mm. I'm sure that I know myself what I'm doing, you know. Yeah, I get you, man. See, um, who's the what's the most valuable per? What's the most valuable lesson you've learned in uh, all your years of training jiu-jitsu? Valuable lesson, ah, yeah, yeah. Um, just for like on and off the mat, like not necessarily just a training yeah, just stuff. The training thing. Um, it's that your social circle is the most important part of it because now that we're we've stopped and we can't go to jiu-jitsu. I'm not specifically missing getting on the mats and doing jujitsu. What I'm missing is I'm missing having a little headspace to go away for an hour or two of my day and catch up with my mates down there and switch off and just um, just be 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 the fucking student. Like in my in my work, I'm the coach and that's what I'm doing. I'm navigating people's training sessions. They're coming in. I'm in charge. I'm the driver. But then mm. the jujitsu, I can sit in the fucking back seat. You know what I mean? I can just yeah. go. Right, and I get, I get you. you show me what I'm doing now. 
that's grand, no problem. And whoever's teaching the class, grand, just fucking call it out there. Let me know. What are we dreading? Sound, let's do that. And let's do that. And we'll have a bit of crack and we'll fucking train. We'll try and pull each other's heads off. And by the time I'm leaving, it's just that mindfulness. You're you're just thinking about what's going on in that class. So no matter how busy or stressed your day was, that's where you are. So that that's the part I miss. It's not the specific, you know, sweeps and passes and takedowns. It's not all of that stuff. It's um it's just that that little escapism from your regular day and yeah, being able to catch up with your team. Good good time with your mates who have been like I have a mate of mine, he's a brown belt and he's the same we compete in the same division a lot. Um, he's a good pal of mine. We've trained together since we were white belts and we're texting each other like nearly day in, day out because we both run our own businesses. We both have kids. We both are both missing jujitsu. Um, we just we just kind of bounce off each other and just keep keep, keep keep a check on each other, make sure we're doing OK, you know. So it's mm. the connections with, with teammates like that. Some of them now I haven't seen in a couple of months, you know. So it's, yeah, you start to miss these people because you've been seeing them week in, week out for eight, nine years. Yeah, dude. See, one of the things I miss most about uh, just going training, like it's just when you have a tough role with someone, and afterwards you just give each other a good bro hug after you've just strangled each other and nearly fucked each other up. Just like a, the bro hug afterwards, like good fucking round, bro. I yeah, miss that well, the that, most. That's ingrained in us, like culturally and in, in, in our DNA, where we need to we need to belong to a tribe, we need to belong to something, and that's why we nav- we navigate towards playing sports, especially as men men we sort of need to feel like we're part of an army or a tribe so we're um it's it's just bred into us through the generations so when you find your your tribe like i played gaelic football for years now i was no real use at it but i played anyway because with gaelic football there's no real just picking your team you can only play for your local team so your local team is full of your mates that you grew up with and went to school Mm. so i played anyway and i I used to love just the camaraderie of, of of being involved and you know, we go to games and stuff. And then when I went to, when I joined jujitsu, like after a few years, you sort of become part of the fabric in your club. Like when you're a white belt and a blue belt, you're sort of the early days, your blue belt, you're, you're kind of going along and you're, there's still people there to go to different hours that you still don't know. But then once you've been there for a few years, you're, you're part of the fabric there and people are coming into the club and they're looking to you for guidance, you know? So it's, um, it's, yeah, you miss that. That's your, your, your connection. And you, you can't you can't go through life solo. You need that little uh, you need your tribe. You need your your sense of belonging. So that's what that is, you know. Mm, yeah, you need other people. It's just just a fact of life. Absolutely, absolutely, you know. Mm. Uh, you guys, we've reached the last question. Are you Ooh. prepared for the last question? Getting hungry, so it's a it's a good time. <laughs> go on, hit me. <laughs> okay. Uh, Who is the most important person in all your jiu-jitsu journey? The most important person. That'd be the boss. That'd be the boss, Andy Ryan. The head boss coach. man. <laughs> yeah, it'd have to be. Um, there'd be a lot of people have played big roles, um, like a lot of like the most regular training partners. Because the longer you're training, the more you'll realise that certain guys are your, you know, your most valuable training partners. The guys that are closest to your level and the guys that are going to push you to get better. But the boss, mm. the boss is the boss holds it all together. We all look up to him, you know. And um, like we're all we're all there. The gym, hopefully, you now is it's going to be sad to see some gyms close during this pandemic. But yeah. with a bit of luck, our gym will be there when we go back. You know, so we're all we're all hoping and and, and uh, crossing our fingers that it will be. You know, mm. but yeah, Andy, Andy, hey man, 
And with that, guys, that's the end of the podcast. If you want to follow Paul, you can look up at BJJ Browner or at BJJ Strength Camp. He's he has some tremendous products such as the body weight, sorry, the body weight trainer for grapplers program. It's pretty good. It'll come on. You don't really have an excuse. Say, oh, I don't have enough time. All you have is enough time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, don't hang up yet, Paul. I, I got to stop the recording, then hang up, or else the thing will get it deleted. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because I, I was just trying to find a way to bring that up because I didn't want to lose the thing because I lost it to our podcast a while ago. That sucks. Ah, oh, dude. Okay. So, guys, if you want to just give Paul a follow, I'll have his stuff linked in the description as well in case uh, you want to have a look-see. And uh, thanks. <laughs>